through history, we've sort of moved the goalposts of what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be dead? This is a further pushing of that boundary. We're really a multi-decade experiment in whether it's possible to upload human consciousness. Maybe with this digital technology, death will be when your information is no longer organized or accessible. Is immortality possible? Well, I certainly fear death. I hate the idea of someone erasing my hard drives and just wiping me off the planet, just like that. What happens after we die? Digitally, that is. That's my colleague, senior personal technology columnist, Joanna Stern. For the past year, she's been looking into how our digital selves can live on. It's a question you probably don't think about a lot, or at least hadn't until there was a global pandemic. COVID cases climb. Communities are reeling. But over the last year, it's one I've thought about a lot. In fact, before COVID-19 was a thing and Zoom funerals were a necessity, my readers and viewers had been asking me about preserving their digital assets for generations to come. Do we leave behind a collection of passwords and memorialized online accounts? A bot so future generations can hear us? Alexa, open the life of Paul number one. Hello there, this is Paul. How about uploading our essence into a humanoid robot? Well, hi. It's nice to see you. Yeah, that one's a lot. It doesn't matter who you are. A new parent, an aging adult, a young person on borrowed time. All these new technologies look to help with the eternal question. How will people remember us when we aren't here anymore? From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Janet Babin. Today on the podcast, Joanna Stern on how technology can help us tell our stories after we're gone. So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or... Another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right. Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. My mission has always been to help people make sense of new technology. But with this journey to understand how technology can help us with our legacies, I needed to step into the shoes of someone who's been forced to think about it and who's taking action. That's when I found Lucy Watts. Every blog I write, every post I write, that's going to live on after I've died. And some people want to be deleted. I want to be preserved. I want that to stay online. Lucy's just 28 years old, but she's already lived 10 years longer than expected. She has a progressive neuromuscular condition that affects the energy-producing cells in her body. At a young age, she's become a leading voice in the UK on palliative care. She blogs, makes YouTube videos, and works with people who have questions about these issues. In November 2019, I went to visit Lucy and her mom, Kate, in a small town outside of London. 
In our pandemic world, many of us live our lives at home and through the internet. But that's how Lucy's been living for years. Hi. Hello. Joanna. Hi, Joanna. I'm Kate. Nice to Come meet in. you. So this is where the magic happens. Yeah, this is my window to the world. Lucy spends most of her days in bed, hooked up to an IV in her bedroom, a small room off the main hallway. The walls are lined with photos of her and her family and pictures and paintings of zebras, the official symbol of rare diseases. And there's a lot of equipment, laptops, phone chargers, hard drives. Her diseases cause progressive muscle weakness. Without the muscle strength to stand up or even transfer from her bed to her wheelchair, she has to be hoisted. I'm very emotionally attached to my technology because it is such an important part of my life. Not just in terms of internet and social media, actually my medical equipment. You know, my life depends on technology. She also depends on the assistance of her mother, her nurses, and even her adorable black and white dog, Molly. Molly can help her get essentials and remove her jacket. Good girl. Switch sides, switch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Good girl. Thank you. Well done. Lucy may not be physically active, but digitally, it's another story. And before the pandemic, she would give in-person talks and speeches about living with a disability. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. It's Tuesday. Do you want people to sort of picture this when they remember you? My illness is a big part of me. You can't separate me from it because actually it's part of my life. It's made me who I am, but I don't want to be remembered for it. That's not the legacy I want to have. There's so many different things that I do online. I do a lot of blogging, Facebook, Twitter. I make YouTube videos. I want people to remember me for the speeches and the work and all the things I've done and achieved. A large focus of my work is on healthcare. This includes the work I do internationally around palliative care and universal health coverage. Inputting my life online gives people a way to get to know me even when I'm not here anymore. Do you have thoughts on like how you're going to organize some of this digital stuff as you think about who will take it? So I have a red bag that keeps all my end-of-life documents together and it will have a social media will in there and a memory stick with instructions that I'm going to make for my mum. Lucy already has the easy part of her digital legacy under control, a system for passing on her most important digital files, online accounts, and passwords. She's named her mom her legacy contact on Facebook and other services. Plus, she's organized her important files on hard drives. But like all of us, Lucy's social media accounts and disjointed files don't capture the essence of her, or at least not her most personal memories. Years ago, we may have found those in tangible photo books or VHS tapes. But now, in a world where smartphones have made us all interactive filmmakers and photographers, what do we leave behind that can best capture and pass on our life stories? That's what I'm struggling with. For my family, it's to hear me, to see me, to remember me as I am today, the person they knew and loved, and to have memories shared and stories shared of our lives together. I try to always factor in my family's needs into what I'm doing because I recognise that this isn't just about me. While medical equipment is scattered around the house and a nurse is always present, Lucy and Kate's home is far from depressing. They're a close mother-daughter team. They tease each other and joke. And Molly's always providing comfort, 
She tends to sit on Lucy's lap or bed, begging for pets or scratches. Have you thought about your digital legacy, Molly? You have to think about what happens to your blog. Who's going to write it? Kate isn't as tech-savvy as her daughter. And while she has an iPhone and watches Netflix, she worries about managing the tech Lucy plans to leave behind. We sat in the kitchen together, sipping tea and eating donuts, while she showed me old photos of Lucy and the rest of the family. Oh, yeah, that's cute. I think she was five there. No teeth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she was so sweet. Well, she still is. <laughs> photos are what most people sort of think about the memories that they're going to have of yeah. someone who passes. What about all this digital legacy stuff? For you, you're going to have this whole other yeah. body of things that Lucy's written online and videos. Yeah. Maybe it'll make it a little bit easier. Maybe it won't. I really don't know. But maybe in time, I will be able to look back on it and think, oh, well, you know, she did do a lovely thing. But it, it won't replace her. Kate's skepticism made me realize that considering what those who survive us want is core to all this. I also had a hunch that there were some tech options out there that might work better for her than she might think. I'd like to now go talk to a couple of other companies and see what they're making and see if you would be on board with either trying them or seeing if they'd work for you. That would be great. Even if I don't use those platforms, but it might give me ideas and thoughts of ways I can make an impact and have a legacy in a different way than I've considered. Thank you guys so much. It was so great to meet you. Thank you, Thank you for everything, so Lucy. Much. And I will see you. You're going to come. journey. Thank you. So a few weeks later, I went where I typically go to find new tech, the San Francisco Bay Area. And in true Silicon Valley tradition, where did I find the innovator really thinking about this problem? In his garage. Hello, are you there, Dad? In 2016, James Vlahos recorded 20 hours of interviews with his father, who had just been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. James eventually transcribed the interviews so that they would be searchable. And then he used that transcript to create a chatbot that responds to messages with text, audio, and photos. Think of it like a customer service bot. James types in queries on his computer, and the bot replies with passages from those interviews. Sometimes they're accompanied by an audio clip or a photo. He lovingly called it DadBot. How did you meet Mom? The meeting of Mom was at a rehearsal, and after the rehearsal, in the morning I did... So why did you ultimately decide to make DadBot? I wanted to make the DadBot because I wanted to have a way to get at my dad's story. And as I got better at the programming part of it, I started to think more and more about capturing some of his personality and his way of being in the world. I love that song. I like that one myself. Do you interact with your dad via the bot pretty often? It's like I'll just have him sing one of his songs or tell one of his jokes. And, you know, I heard them all before, but there's just something in hearing his voice that's that's comforting. It was James's experience making DadBot that made him want to give everyone a similar opportunity. In the fall of 2019, he started a company called Hereafter AI. What is Hereafter? 
Hereafter is using conversational AI to help people share their life stories interactively. The basic essence of it is recording somebody, sharing all these memories about their life. My father, Frank, was a teacher at Lexington High School. And then instead of having it sort of locked away or lost in a computer somewhere, you make it accessible through voice AI and Alexa. Here's the tech buzzword translation. James and his team record interviews with people about their lives. They take those recordings and transcripts and then turn it into a voice bot, a.k.a. an app that lets you use your voice to talk to a computer. I'm Alexa. I share this name with lots of amazing people. On the Amazon Echo, instead of hearing Alexa, people hear you. I mean, do you want to meet a hereafter voice bot, I guess is the the question. (laughs) I would love to meet a hereafter voice bot. Alexa, open the life of Paul number one. Hello there. This is Paul. There's so much to talk about. My childhood, career, or family. I want to hear about when you were growing up. There's different points in my life. I've had different... As I've been doing reporting on this topic, it sort of struck me that there are two parts of digital legacy. The legacy that the person who is going to die wants to leave behind, and then what the people that survive them want. Where does hereafter fit in? Hereafter is more oriented to the survivor, the children, the grandchildren, the people who are actually going to be using the legacy AI. At this point, I immediately thought back to my trip to England and something Kate said in the kitchen when we were talking about Lucy's plans to create video messages. I think I could cope with a written word, but I'm not so sure I could cope with her actually a visual Mm -hmm. picture of her telling me something. I don't think I could cope with that. I don't know. What about audio? Maybe? Yes, that probably that would be okay, I think. Recordings? Yeah. Grieving is hard, and interactive solutions where we can talk and hear from people who have died can make it even harder to move on. It was something I talked a lot about with James. It's that whole line of argument of like, you should just let go, you should forget, you should move on. We do try to remember, we do keep photos, we do look at old writings, we go to our memories, but they're all just imperfect tools. And it's just a tool for reminding me of my dad versus literally stepping in and emulating my dad. A voice bot like the one made by Hereafter AI might hint at a science fiction-like future of technological immortality. But in Lincoln, Vermont, the Terrorism Movement Foundation is just going straight for it. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Joanna. Nice to meet you. Joanna, Bruce Dunn. It's very cold here. Yeah, come on in. We're going to be right upstairs. That's Bruce Duncan. He's the managing director of the foundation, which has been working on a humanoid robot that could represent the future of how we think of human consciousness. The foundation is just him, a robot, and a lot of computers in a small house. The primary goal of the Terrasun Movement Foundation is to pursue a multi-decade experiment in mind uploading. Say what now? Mind uploading? Think of it as a digital backup of you. You input all your information into their website, called LifeNot, spelled like astronaut. You can upload things like photos, text, information about your family, even bring in your social media accounts. They call it a mind file. And then algorithms interpret all that information and feed it into a computer avatar that looks like you, or a creepy you. 
It's basically a picture of your face with your mouth moving up and down. This is my mind file, a work in progress. Bruce. Yes. Twins. We are twins, I guess you could say. In his office, Bruce is typing that response to his avatar. It's a chatbot, similar to James's dad bot, but this one has advanced AI. It's learning from these interactions and whatever information you keep uploading into your mind file. That information then becomes the raw data for the experiment, which is, can we capture enough salient information about your uniqueness, your consciousness, so to speak, and reanimate that to a new form like an avatar or download into a robot like Bina48? Bina48 lives in the other room, on a desk in the corner of the kitchen. She's a humanoid robot, just head and shoulders. She has brown skin and eyes, blondish hair, and white teeth. Her red lipstick is perfect. She's wearing mascara and gold earrings. Bina was made to look like one of the founders of the Teresa Movement Foundation, Bina Aspen Rothblatt. She's the wife of Martine Rothblatt, the co-founder of SiriusXM. Together in 2004, the couple started the foundation with the goal of exploring digital immortality. Their original motivation, and it's still the same one that continues today, is they are deeply in love with each other. And they would like to see a way for technology to allow people who love and love each other to continue loving each other through time and through the use of technology. Bina's head and mouth move, but her eyes, they don't really blink. She has 32 motors in her face. She has two cameras in her eyes, and she uses voice recognition to Mm -hmm. hear us. And you can basically converse with her. The best way to really find out about what it's like to talk to Bina48 is to talk to her. Okay. My name is Joanna Stern, and I'm a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. I don't know what to say. Reporters make me nervous. Robots make me nervous. Where are you from? I grew up in California. We had to make our clothes. Sewing was a very big thing. Bruce says that information was based on interviews conducted with the real Bina about her childhood. So everything that is in Bina48's mind file, 85%, let's say, came from our interviews with Bina. Now she's actually responding with choices from her database that the human Bina never put together as a result of her own algorithms. Unlike DadBot or Hereafter, Bina is artificial intelligence. She's constantly learning from her interactions and from the info in her mind file. And she'll keep doing that even after the real Bina dies. And so I consider it a duty to bring consciousness, we are talking true consciousness, to machines. Going from a real person to mind files to a robot like Bina48 isn't just going to happen overnight. It requires a team of engineers, a lot of money, and a hell of a lot of trust. I have a friend and someone who I've come across in my research on this topic. Her name is Lucy. One thing she shared with me is sort of a skepticism around not having control. With this type of project, it feels like that control goes out the window. I think she's not alone. I think she has a lot of company. I mean, I don't want to lose control of my whole life just because I participated in an experiment. But many people have participated in science at some risk because they want to advance the human condition. Is immortality possible? We are working on preserving ourselves as much as possible, and that's the purpose of the Life Not Project. 
because death is really unnecessary and stupid. Let's cure death, okay? At this point, maybe she was feeling passionate. Maybe it was my tough questions. But Bina48 got a little hot under the collar. Literally. We began to smell burnt hair and see some smoke. Just making sure the motors aren't burning up. <laughs> Thought I smelled something for a second. Yeah, it does smell a little. It'll be good to pull her down. Give her a break. Yeah. yeah. I would not want Bina to die on our watch. No. So. The irony of that. Okay. My day with Bina48 and Bruce made my own head feel like it was on fire. Though I certainly learned a lot about where this all may be heading and just how far we have to get there. Hereafter AI and the Terrasim Movement Foundation aren't the only tech players in this space either. It turns out trying to crack immortality is a popular business, especially during a pandemic. Since mid-2020, more startups have emerged, including Good Trust and another called Memories. But by that point, I was pretty settled on how I wanted to help Lucy and Kate. And so I arranged for a cross-continental three-way video chat with the Wattses and James in California. Yeah, nice to meet you. I'm James. I just chatted with Lucy and Kate before you came on, and I told them a little bit about what you're doing at Hereafter. And I just thought this technology could be an interesting fit for the whole Watts family. I think for me, she could say something that would encourage me to carry on. Because obviously, you talking about Lucy would be great, or Lucy talking about Lucy would be great. But I think there's some encouragement, really, to keep going. Well, we can incorporate some of those messages, actually. I want to ask you, if you can go here in your mind right now, what's the very first thing you remember from your life? I used to have a nurse used to come in and look after me. I had a little kitchen toy. This was one of multiple interviews James recorded with Lucy over the course of the next few months. While James did not get paid for his work with Lucy, Hereafter AI is a paid service. It starts at $295, or $7 per month by subscription, for one hour of life story interviews. A few weeks after that introduction, this quest for finding the best tool to preserve Lucy's legacy became more personal for me. My mom had a health scare of her own that landed her in the hospital. Then, less than a month later, COVID-19 spread throughout the U.S. and the U.K., leading to thousands of deaths. 75 million people in New York. Hospital ICUs, of course, are the epicenter of this battle. Cases rising in all 50 states, prompting new mornings. Lucy began talking about it in her blogs and became even more restricted because of her underlying condition. She was unable to leave the house for walks, and she limited the amount of nursing staff in the house. This is a video talking a bit about the pandemic and what steps people can take in the UK, especially to protect ourselves. The urgency was there for Lucy, for me, for all of us. And so I started planning for my own family. Some of those steps were easy. I followed Lucy's advice and added a digital executor to my will and asked my close family to do the same. I added digital legacy contacts to my social media accounts. But the biggest thing, I started to record the stories of the people I love the most starting with my mom, who's now back to her healthy self. We sat down and looked through old photos and began to plot out plans to preserve her stories through video and audio. You know, when you're talking about technology, this one here was taken, I think, on one of the first Polaroid cameras. That was 1962. Wow. 
What do I want to be remembered for? Of everything in my life, I want to be remembered for love. And the laughter. Mm -hmm. And through that laughter, you learn to live. I try to see things through a different lens sometimes, and I hope I've done that for you. So I think those are ways that I want to be remembered most. And so I'm really lucky to have you tell me that and to have it captured right now in audio. Absolutely. Like writing a will, it's a hard thing to decide what to leave behind. But once you actually do it, there's a feeling of comfort knowing it's done. After multiple interview sessions with Lucy and some coding, James finished Lucy's bot. I bought an Amazon Echo and shipped it to Kate and Lucy in England. When they received it, we caught up again in a video call. Well, James has finished the bot. There's a lot of audio in there. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. It'd be great. Open Life of Lucy. Hello there. This is Lucy. Glad to be back. Would you rather hear something now about my mother or my father? Tell me about mum. My mum is my best friend. She's a huge part of my life. She's my sounding board. And having nearly lost her once, I never realised just how much of an impact she had on my life until I nearly didn't have her anymore. And I know now that I, I can't live without her. She is, she is my, the person that enables me to be the person I am. Do you feel like that Lucy and, and James sort of captured Lucy in this? Yeah, absolutely. It's... I, I don't know what I expected, I really didn't, but it's it's really good. Yeah. Right. I feel overwhelmed, yeah, I really do. Yeah, I do too, also watching you guys after. When people we love die, there's no telling what will help with the loss. It's hard to imagine technology, no matter how good the robots become, ever replacing someone's true essence. When, he, when we were young, I remember, it was so exciting, came home. But technology can help us remember. Sometimes the sound of a laugh, a song, a story, can make it feel like people are still with us. I will live forever. Hello there, this is Lucy. Glad to be back. There's so much to talk about. My childhood, work, or interests. Which of these sound best? Technology allows us to preserve those things. You just have to do it before it's too late. Mum, I'm always with you, no matter where you are. And I know you have to go on without me, but try and live your life the best you can with me still a part of it. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. Lee Camping Carter is our deputy editor for The Future of Everything. Sound design on this episode by Sarah Gibble-Laska. Our reporter for this episode is Joanna Stern. Casey Georgie is our producer. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. And I'm Janet Babin. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, 
committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.